Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. Yeah, man, no, no, uh, I thought it was great. I thought we touched on some stuff that, you know, I haven't touched on uh, in other podcasts. And so, you know, it's, it's always nice to, you know, get to, you know, have some of those memories. And we've had some shared experiences that we got to touch on, too. Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, travelling and adventure. And I'm your host, John O'Regan. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by American marathon and ultramarathon runner Mike Wardian. Mike has become a household name in the ultra running world with a list of achievements and results that are hard to comprehend and almost too hard to list. He has won the 2008, 2009 and 2010 US 50km Championships and the 2011 50 mile championships. In 2008, he won the US 100K National Championships and he qualified and participated in the 2004, 2008 and 2012 Men's Olympic Marathon Trials. In November 2009, he finished third in the IAU 50km World Championships in Gibraltar and in 2011, he finished second in the IAU 100km World Championships in Winscotton, the Netherlands. The United States track and field named him the 2008 and 2009 Ultra Runner of the Year and in February 2011 the IAU, which is the International Association of Ultra Runners, named Mike as their inaugural Athlete of the Year. Mike has set numerous records including fastest marathon on a 200 metre track with a time of 2.27.21, fastest marathon pushing a jogging stroller with a time of 2.42.21, He's a former record holder for the fastest marathon on a treadmill, plus he holds the record for the fastest 50 kilometers on the treadmill. And the day after running a 2.21 at the 2012 Olympic Marathon Trials in Houston, Mike took part in the Houston Marathon and ran 2.31 the next day. Mike also holds the fastest ever time recorded for the World Marathon Majors, consisting of the Tokyo, Boston, London, Berlin, Chicago and New York Marathons in an average time of 2 hours 31 and 9 seconds. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but some of the other races include the JFK 50 miler, the Comrades Marathon, Speed Go 50k, the Coastal Challenge, Two Oceans Marathon, Marathon des Saves, a three-time finisher, the Ultra Trail of the Gobi Desert, a 400km distance, the Western States 100-mile Himalayan 100-mile stage race, the Vermont 100-mile Endurance Run, the Wings for Life World Run, the Ultra Trail World Tour, the UTMB, the North Pole Marathon, Badwater, World Marathon Challenge, two-time finisher and winner. He has numerous FKTs, which is fastest known times, and that includes the Leadville and Pikes Peak Double, the Israel National Trail, which is a 631 mile or 1,009 kilometers over 10 days, the Eagle Trail in Saudi Arabia, and most recently in April of this year and during the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown, he won the Quarantine Backyard Ultra, by covering a distance of 263 miles, which is 421 kilometres, over the course of 63 hours on a loop in his neighbourhood in Arlington. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Wow, man, what an introduction. Yeah. Well, out of respect, (laughs) I preferred that I did the introduction rather than you having to say something yourself, because I know you always leave bits out. (laughs) 
Well, yeah, and and I think uh, you did a pretty good job covering most of everything that I've uh, everything I've done. Um, well, there's, there's more. There is more. I know that. <laughs> That's the yeah. thing. You've probably forgotten about it, but there is more. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, I just took out the crazy. juicy bits. As I said, the most recent one was the Quarantine Backyard Ultra. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I don't know if your audience is familiar with um, those races or not, but it's um, you run 4.167 miles every hour on the hour until everyone drops out, basically. So it's a last man or last person standing event. Um, and every 24 hours, you do 100 miles. So it typically the winners go, you know, between 50 and 60 hours. Um, we were able to do this last time, uh, 63 hours. And I think the world mark um, currently is around 68 hours or so. And you looked a bit disappointed when it finished at 63 hours. You wanted to go on. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I was feeling really good. And um, unfortunately, the, one other rule in the race is that you can only go one lap further than the second place finisher. So, um, you know, you're only as strong as, as the person that you're working to try to beat, but you guys also want to work together, uh, or it's usually, you know, there's, this is a race where, you know, women tend to do really well also. And so, you know, it could be, you know, it's the net, the other person. Um, so, um, yeah, you can only go one lap or 4.167 miles further than the next closest person. So even if you felt good, you can't keep keep going forward. When I was following it, I was a bit unsure with the last lap. Did you know during the last lap that you were the last person standing? Or was it only when you got back to the start line again? Uh, I knew uh, I knew about halfway through. I, I was doing a, a 0.4 mile loop. And uh, when I started, I didn't know uh, that the other guy, there's a guy named Radic from the Czech Republic. Uh, he was doing it also. And uh, he looked really strong and he just had a little trouble on the last loop. And I didn't see that because I had already left for my loop. But about halfway through, somebody in the neighborhood yelled, like, I think that, you know, he's he's disqualified. And uh, as soon as I heard that, I, I started picking up the pace and I ran my fastest loop. I was trying to break 30 minutes for four miles and and because <laughs> yeah you ran yeah, the last because loop. I started so slow I wasn't able to yeah yeah you did the last loop in 31 minutes whereby the other ones you were you were averaging I think between 40 and 50 minutes so gee, that was phenomenal after that length of time now with this race most people I'd say would be relieved when somebody else dropped out but as I mentioned you look disappointed so when you started that race did you go into that thinking that your end goal was to beat what was the current record no not at all like uh, my my goal going into the race i kind of jumped in the race at the last minute like the i think the race started on a saturday and and i jumped into the race on wednesday i think and i, I was planning to do a uh, fastest known time around washington dc like i've been wanting to run all the boundary stones which will be about 75 miles or so um, and, and I, I didn't do that because, um, my buddy, basically Maggie Guterell, who won the race, uh, the Biggs Backyard Ultra, uh, in 2019, uh, had been chirping in my ear to do one of these events for a long, long time. And, uh, 
I was like, oh, she's doing it. And, you know, there's so many like strong runners that are doing it. Like there was uh, Courtney DeWalter and uh, Pete Kostelnik and um, Harvey Lewis and a bunch of like 24 hour runners from around the world. And so basically I, um, I jumped in it because I thought, oh, it'd be cool to just hang out with those people. And I was really craving like community. And I thought, oh, this will be a fun thing to do together. And I'll just try to run longer than I've ever run before. And for me, that was about 300 kilometers and 36 hours. So um, I set a fastest known time on a trail here or like a towpath. I I was like, if I can do 36, 37 hours and, and do a little bit more distance, that would be awesome. And if anything, you know, anything after that would be, you know, we'll just see how it goes. And um, that's kind of the mindset I went in and with. And uh, it worked out really well. I mean, I felt I had a really bad patch around 175 miles in the middle of my second night. Um, but other than that, I, I felt pretty strong the whole way. I think the hardest part was just like you were saying was running, you know, really a lot slower than you're used to running and just trying to reserve your energy. And, and then also I was doing mine outside. And so um, just dealing with the weather conditions. So, you know, it, it was the beginning of April. So, uh, you know, there's in Washington, D.C., we get kind of, you know, different weather patterns. And so it, some days it was really hot. Other days it was, you know, mild. And, and then at night it was it was pretty chilly. And so like just trying to deal with all those um, uh, conditions while you're, you know, trying to do the miles. And and then, you know, a lot of people like the, the biggest thing is the sleep deprivation. And for me, that actually wasn't such a, a big problem um but it's just like making sure you're staying up on calories and staying healthy and how did you actually fuel yourself during that event um i actually used a lot of different things um i i started (laughs) my wife posted a funny uh picture on my instagram but like i started the race and i just had like a little box like a hoka box is uh hoka is one of my sponsors and i had a little box uh, from a pair of shoes, I actually pulled out a pair of shoes that morning to wear a pair of Bondies. So it was like, you know, a, I don't know, a, you know, a shoe size box with like some gels in it and some chews and like a water bottle. And I was like, oh, I'll just go home and like get water in between. And then she saw Maggie set up with like a table and like chairs and like coolers. And, and she's like, oh my God, he needs so much more help than this. And so, um, and we had like a, big like cards uh like maybe like a folding table with um there was all kinds of stuff i had uh pickles i had avocado i had uh almond butter and honey sandwiches i had fruit i had i think four pizzas or five pizzas i had sushi um i had tea i had coffee i had liquid calories um had coconut water um regular water coke uh, ginger ale so i mean a lot of your audience probably has done an ultra before but basically you try to have a lot of choices and then um you know eventually you just got to keep putting in calories whatever they are so your nutrition plan for for that evolved as the race progressed and you were lucky enough that it was starting outside your house that you you had easy access to to these items so that that must have been a big positive Oh man, it was a huge positive. And then also, um, you know, this wasn't when the, um, the, the 
crisis was in in such a state as it is now. And so, um, you know, I also had a big support from the local community here in my neighborhood, and it kind of brought us together. And so, um, you know, neighbors were bringing food or going and picking up stuff for us, which was nice. And, um, you know, that was, that was actually really cool. And then my wife would like wipe it down because she was like the only one who could really hand me stuff. Um, but yeah, so that, that was actually pretty awesome. And then I had, um, some good support system that I have in place. Like I have a really good friend, like a guy named Phil and my buddy James and, uh, another friend of mine, Tom, who always helped me with like my adventures and, you know, they were able to be a part of it. And then my brother and my family. And so, um, yeah, so I was really lucky. I mean, I think having that support, uh, was paramount and I don't know if I would have done Actually, I know I wouldn't have done as well, you know, had it been, you know, somewhere else, um, you know, and I was just relying on, you know, people I didn't know or just not having, you know, because one of the things that that I, I definitely experience when I'm doing these events is like missing my family and, you know, having them, you know, be a part of it and, and I could see them and, um, you know, I wasn't separated from them was a big deal for me. And then because you knew your support crew so well, you were that bit more confident. You knew there was less chance of something going wrong on you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's also that aspect to it also. Um, you know, when you're racing overseas, like sometimes uh, it can be hard to like, you know, trust if the fruit is going to be okay yes. or, you know, is the water going to make me sick? Like even like I did a race in Poland and the water was like bottled water, but it was mineral water. And the mineral content was just something my body wasn't used to because it was like fancy water. Um, and like, that's the kind of stuff where you're like, how would you even know that? But like, I suffered for like half the race um, until I realized that it was the water that was making me sick. Cause right. I just stopped eating everything else. Uh, and then I switched to soda and it was fine, but it was like, like, those are the kind of things like, if you're in a, you know, a foreign place or like, you know, it's not easy to get to the store or the stores aren't open or, um, so yeah, having, having the ability, you know, be close to home and, and, you know, even like the pizzas were from, you know, the favorite pizza place that I always go to. And so like when, sometimes when you order a pizza, like a vegetarian, like I don't eat cheese or anything, like they mess it up or put, you know, cheese on it or whatever. And, um, so yeah, like just having like, those kind of comfort were, was a big deal. And before it started, how far did you think you would go? Um, I thought I would go probably, my goal, I didn't actually know. Like, actually, I, I had no idea. My goal was just to go longer than 36 hours. So, um, you know, that, that was kind of, that was, that was it. I didn't really get uh, too caught up in going further than that. You know, 200 miles seemed like, you know, just kind of crazy. And then once I got to 200 miles though, I said like, Oh, I want to try to tie Maggie uh, and she had done 250 miles. And so I thought, yeah, like that would be cool, but I didn't know if it was going to happen. And then, you know, when it did, then I started thinking like, wow, I really want to try to get the world record. And then, you know, I think it'd be awesome to go over 300 miles. I mean, I think that's kind of the goal next, next time would be to, you know, kind of shoot for that those those kind of aspirations but but this time I, I really didn't know and when it actually finished what did you do next did, did you go to bed or <laughs> no actually actually i i we cleaned up the aid station 
uh, you know, walked home. I went right to my computer because I have I'm an international ship broker and we had um, some freight offers, like some deadlines uh, that morning. I think I finished at like 1230 or something in the morning and I, we got home by like two and uh, I worked until like 330 and then I passed out for like 45 minutes, woke up, finished um, the work I had to do, kind of worked a full day. Uh, until like five o'clock at night and then uh, did a really fast mile run around the, the block that I had just run 260 miles on. Yeah. And then I just kind of got back into like my life. And it was actually one of those things that was so weird because there wasn't anything going on that it uh, really resonated with people. And so, you know, there was quite a bit of uh, media attention around it. And so I was doing, you know, TV interviews, radio interviews, podcasts, um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And you were saying, I'll be back in 50 minutes. Yeah, yeah, right. A few days before the event, you did a 2.33 marathon on the same route. Like, what did the neighbours think? I did, well, I did the marathon um, just to, like, entertain the neighbourhood because we thought it'd be funny. And <laughs> uh, they it was really awesome. Like, the whole, the whole neighbourhood came out. And my son, Pierce, who's 13, he actually biked next to me, like, the whole way. And it was the longest he'd ever biked before. And um and it was it was really just a you know a nice a nice way to get out and that was actually funny too i had um some stuff due for work uh, i finished that at 11 o'clock uh you know had a little bowl of oatmeal or something and then walked out to the start line and started at noon i think on on like a thursday or something and so yeah i i've um i've run around that block I actually just posted like the other day on my social media. I think I've run, actually, I know I've run around that block over 400 times. So Whoa. like a thousand times uh, around the same block. Now, I'm just going to get sidetracked for the moment. Seeing as you mentioned your work as a ship broker, you had a responsibility with a very famous ship that was on its way to, well, it's famous now because it's been in the movies, that was on its way to Somalia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I work with a company called uh, Maersk and... Um, it's Maersk Line or Maersk Line Limited, and they had a ship, uh, the Maersk Alabama, that was um, taking, it was actually taking uh, some food to Somalia, which is kind of interesting. So it actually had some trouble. They experienced uh, a hijacking off the coast of Somalia where Somali pirates came and got on board the ship and hijacked the crew. And there's a pretty famous movie about it called Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks that kind of details the exploits. But yeah, that was... Uh, that was actually interesting. I was coming back from uh, a race called the Marathon de Saab and some friends of mine said your ship got hijacked and I just didn't, be I, I didn't believe them, you know, and I was like, nah, come on. Yeah, that was all I've you needed. Gone, yeah, exactly. I've been gone for like two weeks, like in the desert, you know, pretty out of contact with everyone. You know, you're just in your own little world when you're doing a stage race like that and, um, yeah, and, and then, you know, you get back and someone says that, you just think they're pulling your leg, but it was real. I'll go back to the Marathon Saab now in a moment, but I want to step back a bit further. 1998, you ran the JFK 50 miler in a time of 7 hours, 54 and 19 seconds. Was that your first ultra? Uh, I thought it was 1997, but you might be right if you looked it up. So I thought I did it in 1997, Okay, but it may have been 1998. I did that year. I just run. I thought I'd just run the Boston Marathon, and then I did Chicago Marathon, Marine Corps Marathon, New York City Marathon, 
and then the JFK 50 mile. And so that was, um, that was my first ultra. And then 11 years later, you clocked a time of 5 hours, 28 minutes and 58 seconds as a split during the IAU 100km World Championships in Turhout, Belgium. And you went on to finish 6th place in that race in a time of 6 hours, 53 and 17 seconds. So that's over 1 hour faster for a race that was 10 kilometers or 6 miles longer. Now that's a huge improvement. What I've noticed is there was a big gap in your ultra distance racing between 2001 and 2007. Is that when you started to focus more on the marathon? Yeah, I definitely uh, shifted focus to doing marathons. I was trying to qualify for the Olympic trials. And so that I was went, 2004, uh, is that right? Yeah, but I, I decided to qualify in 2001. I was actually in the Himalayas doing the Himalayan 100 mile stage race. And uh, I was it was actually cool. I was overlooking like Mount Everest and I was winning the race and I was just thinking, you know, I can do these kind of races at any age, but I should really try to focus on getting some speed. And, and my dream is to always qualify for the Olympic trials, but I wasn't really doing the work that I needed to. I wasn't doing like the speed work. I was just kind of doing, you know, whatever I wanted. And so, you know, this was going to be an opportunity to kind of focus on getting faster and, and doing like the 5Ks and 10Ks and half marathons and stuff. And, and I figured like, hey, I should do that now. And yeah, so I, I shifted focus from doing like the long ultra stuff. And I before that, I'd done like an Ironman and was kind of dabbling in, the, in that field and decided like, hey, I'm going to really see how far and fast I can go. And it was so awesome. I think I qualified in 2003 for the 2004 Olympic trials. And um, yeah, it was it was a big breakthrough for me because I was kind of stuck at a 230 plateau for a while. And uh, then I started chipping away and I get like 225, but I just couldn't break 222 at the, the old standard used to be, you had to run 222 was the standard. And, uh, eventually I ran 221 and then they lowered the standard to 219. And so then I lowered my time to like 217. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I just, I just keep grinding and I keep working and that's kind of been my motive all through life is, um, you know, just set set goals and, and then try to figure out how to get to them. And do you think that the break from the ultra distance to focus on the marathon at that time helped you to forge the foundation for your ultra running career? Um, I think it, it allowed me the time to, like, get back into it. Um, I don't think it hurt. I mean, I, I definitely wish, you know, I had done maybe some more ultras during that time, but I just... I just wanted to be the best marathon runner I could be. And so, you know, but I was, I was kind of mixing in some longer stuff. Um, but yeah, it was more focused on, on just doing road stuff. And then in 2000 and I think you said 2007, is that right? I did like uh, JFK. 2008. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I did it the, the week after the Olympic trials. So I ran the 2008 Olympic trials and then uh, my friend Mike Spindler from JFK was like, hey, you have great fitness. You should just come and, and run uh, JFK. And my dream had always been to uh, qualify for a U.S. team and wear a singlet in the, in the world championships. And JFK 50 mile was a qualifier and is a qualifier for the 100K world team. And so uh, I went to JFK and it was awesome because I, I ended up winning the race 
um, and then getting a spot. If you run sub six hours at the JFK 50 miler, you have a chance to be on the 100K world team. And, and that's when I started my string of uh, running in the world championships for the U.S. And I think I ran on the 100K world team eight times from 2007 to like 2012 or 2013 or something. So, um, yeah, and, and, you know, with, you know, a couple gold place finishes. And I think we even, you know, switch some i think i was known maybe more for my my trading with the other teams than i was my running because i would come home with like i still have some amazing uh kit from all the other countries you know um yes you I have think that was you have the early kit from when scotland back in 2011 i think it is yeah yeah i totally do i wear that stuff all the time those shorts are so short oh they're awesome were you always competitive or did you become competitive now the reason i'm asking that is Back in 1998, uh, when you did your first JFK 50 miler, you finished in, as I said, 7 hours 54. Then, over the period of time, you began to lower your times down. And when you did it in 2007, you won that race and you finished it in 5 hours 50. So, there's a big difference be, between the two. So, do you think you got competitive as you started to improve as you went along? Uh, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, when I, I wasn't a runner growing up, I played a sport called lacrosse. And so I got into running just to finish, you know? So I, uh, I, I definitely, uh, you know, wasn't an elite runner. Um, when I started, I, you know, yeah, I didn't even know how many laps, like a 400 meters on the track was like, people would say like, Hey, we're going to do a, you know, eight by 400. And I would be like, just tell me, do I run one lap or four laps? Like, I don't know what that means. And so like, I definitely learned during those years. Um, I, I worked really hard. Um, you know, I, I actually had a shift in mindset from, you know, I just want to finish to like, I want to, you know, see how fast I can go to, I want to be like the best guy in my, in my neighborhood to, I want to be the best guy in, you know, my city to, um, you know, by that point, like, Hey, I want to be one of the best guys in the world. And so like, it was a evolution and, and I still feel like I'm on that, you know, path where, um, you know, now that I've, I've been a professional runner for, uh, about 20 years now. Um, so I, you know, I had my first, you know, kind of real, um, contract in around 2001. Um, but, I'd say my first like big contract was maybe like 2004. So, um, you know, it's been 16 years of, you know, being, being like one of the top runners and, um, and it's, it's pretty cool because, you know, most of the people that I've, um, competed against at various points in my career have either retired or, you know, they're no longer running and to still be in the sport and to still be relevant and to still be, um, continuing to do things, I think is, um, you know, just one of the, you know, it's a, it's a real special place and a privilege. Like I, I don't take it for granted. And, um, you know, I continue to, I, I know I work as hard or harder now than I do at any point in my career. And, um, you know, I want to continue to evolve and, and to continue to be, um, able to do these things. I think that's part of your success. It's that you love the running. You love the process rather than just the end result. Would that be right? Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, uh, and, and some people could say, well, maybe I love the running too much and, you know, I don't care about the results as much, but, um, yeah, you just let it happen. Yeah, I am driven. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Um, and, and I am, you know, hyper competitive and, um, you know, I, 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 I have the ability to, you know, endure and, and push myself like, and I think if you have those traits and, you know, every now and then, you know, you're going to have, you know, one of those performances that, um, you know, I've been lucky. I've had a lot of performances that, you know, some people would, um, you know, define their career and, um, and, and hopefully I'll continue to have those. Like I, I still have big dreams and, and, you know, I'm right now I'm 40, 46. And so like, um, you know, I'm an older athlete, but, um, I'm still mixing it up with, with, you know, the best in the sport. And I think, um, you know, we're lucky that we are in a sport where, um, you know, age and, uh, experience have, uh, the ability, you know, to put you in a good position to do well, no matter, you know, who you're facing. And something else I'll say about you is you are very, very competitive. There's no doubt about that. And you're results driven, but you're also a very positive role model. There's, there's no arrogance there. And I think if anybody was watching the quarantine backyard ultra and seeing that last few hours and especially the end when it finished you are a true sportsman you wanted the race to continue it it was stopped because you were following the rules but if they had made an allowance you would have kept going side by side and allowed that race to continue you didn't want it to just finish like that and yeah, exactly. That's very yeah, commendable. I mean, like that's, and I I've seen that with you before. But you know, I think after after going for that length of time, and rather than being relieved that it was over, you were willing it to go on, and you would have allowed it to go on. And yeah, then, totally. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you watch if you watch the video, I'm like, well, do we just need to give him a redo? Like, oh, I'm okay. If you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. If you wanted, it was heartbreaking. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty tragic. And, um, but also because, um, you know, there's, there's a point where, you know, you have to have the fitness to be able to do those things, but you also have to have the time and the the people willing to help you. And, um, those, those are special, special circumstances and you can't always get to that place. And, you know, who says the next time I do it, you know, I don't have an injury or I don't, you know, just, I'm not mentally strong enough to go that far. And so, you know, when you put yourself, it's like, you know, when you do track workout, you you know, the first five or six are not of any consequence. It's the seventh, eighth, ninth, and 10th one where you actually get the benefit. And, you know, I feel like, you know, when you do some of these events, it's like you might, um, you never have another opportunity. And if you're there, you need to seize it. And I think, you know, that was, you know, a special day and a special, or a special, you know, event, a special couple days. And, um, you know, it's too bad we weren't able to see where it would go. That's a very good takeaway. Yeah, it's it's the 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 laps after the like the first year, really just a warm up. And then you get to the point where you find out who you are. And, and that's they're the ones that make the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the, the marathon they saw back in 2000. Yeah. It wasn't as it wasn't as well known back in 2000. And how did you like what brought you to that race uh it was actually my roommate um i was i had just finished an iron man and i was kind of looking at things to do maybe looking to get back into some ultra stuff and 
my buddy um, saw an article on the you know toughest races in the world, and he said, "Oh, dude, you should do this race." Uh, and I remember him, you know, showing me the article, and then I saw how much money it was. It was like twenty five hundred dollars, and you know, I was, a, you know, I. It's funny, I'm a, you know, a partner in international ship brokerage today, you know. But when I first started out, I was like the guy making the photocopies and uh, answering the phones. So I like twenty twenty five hundred dollars was like, you know, more than ten percent of my salary. <laughs> so, um, so I was like, how am I going to make this happen? Um, so I basically saved up for for two and a half years and uh and then i also saved up all my vacation and um and then i you know applied and and it was it was it was amazing it was um incredible like i ended up um you know doing really well in the event yeah you finished 32nd in 27 hours oh okay yeah so i thought it was i was i thought it was top 25 but um but maybe not. Um, and I was the first American. I remember that's what I was so proud of. Um, so out of all the Americans, I, it was me and a guy named Jay Batchin, and we'd been like fighting the whole, the whole week. Um, but yeah, like I went there without any gators. Like I, I, it was my first like big trip overseas for running. Um, you know, I went to the, I went to the souk the first day I was there and I bought all my, all my gifts for the entire trip the first day. Um, so I had like this huge North face bag with like, I don't know, vases in it. And, and like, I had to carry that thing around for two and a half weeks, um, which was just insanely stupid, you know? Um, but yeah, so, so for me, it was, it was kind of a life changing experience because I went from like, Oh, I just want to go and do this race and finish to, uh, I want to be the top American. And then I remember like a couple days into it, I was like in 50 or 60th place. And I heard like the top 50 um, get to do the long day. They have to go in later in the day. And I ended up like, I was like right on the cusp. So I was in the slower group uh, and I ran the fastest 50 mile time of the slower group and actually one of the faster times Um for the day. And, and I just remember like moving up so much in the ranks and, um, you know, it was, it was one of those things that as the race went along, I just noticed how much stronger I got. And, um, it, for me, it was a real eye opening experience that like, Hey, I can really be good at this. If I, um, you know, put the time in, there's actually a pretty funny documentary about it. Uh, outside network did a, did a funny documentary about it. And, um, it, it, I think it it lives on YouTube somewhere, so you can kind of see a a young Michael Wardian without a beard and the long hair. Without a beard and the long hair, for sure. Yeah, that's that's when I, it, when I first met you, you didn't have a beard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I I was uh, clever. I got I I wanted to try the beard. I tried. I started uh, growing a beard in two thousand and. 14 uh and i was just gonna use it just to go to the north pole marathon when i ran that um and then i really liked it and um it's funny now like it everyone thinks that i've always had a beard but uh you know i didn't for a long time now you mentioned the cost of the marathon they saw back in 2000 so that's one of those once in a lifetime races but you went back in 2009 
and that time I think there was bad weather that year. Was that the year it was they had heavy rain? That was bad weather yeah. that year. So they had to shorten yeah. it slightly. Shorten it by about twenty kilometers or so maybe. But in that mm-hmm. year you finished eight overall and mm-hmm. the time for that year was eighteen forty four. But then you went back again the following year and you yeah. finished third overall. So it's unusual for someone outside of Morocco or Jordan to finish so high. What did you do different? Yeah, I'm, that was my goal was to win. So, yeah, I, I went back with the sole purpose of winning that race. And um, what I did different, well, I did a lot of things differently. Uh, in 2009, I uh, had just uh, signed with a company called the North Face. And so, um, you know, they wanted me to, to use, a, you know, certain equipment. And it was actually not ideal for, for the race just because they didn't really have a pack specific to the race. Um, so I lost so much time in 2000 and, um, 2009 that, or 2000, 2009 and 2010, right? So like 2000, yeah. the first one, 2009, like I would go in with the leaders into the aid station and then they would just run out with the bottle, slide it into the little sleeve and leave. And I would be like filling up bottles and like, so I'd, you know, had the tempo for like five minutes just to catch back up. And so like, if you do that, you know, five times a day, you're basically running like an hour faster and harder than everyone else. And I just kind of wore out. And so the next year I basically changed all my equipment. I also cut like my food down to like the absolute minimum you could have and just prepared to starve for a week. And then I just had super good fitness and I was just ready to, you know, I was just all in and, and that made all the difference, you know, cutting the weight, having the right equipment and then, you know, just being in the right mindset to just be willing to take whatever the, the desert gave me and whatever the competitors, um, threw at me. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, that being said, like, that was like, you know, I was super fit and super ready and I still got smoked by like Mohammed and, and, uh, and the second place guy. Um, so, you know, that, you know, there is something to be said for, you know, how I did, but, but the other guys were just at another level, you know, they're just so strong and they know the desert so well. And, um, you know, a couple steps this way or that way, uh, in that environment, you know, you can be working, you know, 30 or 40% harder. And so, um, you know, I, I actually was super proud of, you know, how I did and, and that result, but, you know, I was definitely trying to be there to win and, um, you know, those guys were just, you know, better. And so, um, it was funny because they they asked me like hey do you want to come to jordan to train for like six months and you know only focus on that race and um, you know a week after that i was running the boston marathon in the elite field and so like you know i i do you know take these things seriously but you know i also you know have other obligations and you know i was you know still racing like 40 or 50 times a year and so like to you know take off six months and and not you know, work my real job and, and do all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, that's the kind of dedication that those guys were putting in and, you know, to be even close to them was, was pretty awesome. Yes. And I suppose that that's their livelihood as well. And we met Mohammed in 2017 in a race in Morocco. Uh, did he remember mm-hmm. you? Oh my God. Yeah. We're buddies. Yeah. Uh, we actually were sponsored by the same company oh, for okay. a while, a company called UVU. Oh yes. yes, yes. So, um so yeah so so and we raced um 
in 20, I think 2013 or 2014 in, um, and Zutspitz in Germany um, together. And yeah, I've seen him all over the world. He's just a great guy, man. Just a super cool, um, cool dude. And um, his brother is really awesome too, Lanzo. Um, and even the Jordan, like the Jordanian guy, Solomon, like I've raced him all over the world. I just raced him this year, actually, in uh, Eco Trail in Saudi Arabia. And um, I ended up winning the race but it was only because he took a wrong turn you know it's like some sometimes it's like you 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 know i've i've been the guy who's taken a wrong turn in the past and i know how much that sucks and um you know sometimes it you know i guess it 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 shakes out for you yeah if them's the breaks yeah Uh, you mentioned coming back from the martin sab morris going back into another race now i don't want to talk too much about your training because listeners tend to try and follow what others are doing i think you're a bit of an outlier with this but do you have time to train or are you racing as you're training um i do train but a lot of times like i use the races as complements to each other so you know i may do a 5k that you know i can use that fitness for 10k or i find a lot of the fitness you get from marathons is pretty applicable to ultra marathons and then as you're doing ultra marathons, you know, you can use that endurance for even the shorter stuff. So you're just stronger over the long run. So, um, I, I like to keep, keep it pretty diverse and mixed up and, um, you know, some, sometimes doing shorter stuff, um, you know, jumping in five K's, 10 K's, uh, half marathons, uh, back to back, you know, five K, 10 K. Like I think two weeks ago I did, a a Hoka, one one australia event where you did 5k 10k half marathon all the same day and then a 64k the next day and i feel like that's actually like really a really cool way to you know do big volume but also you know kind of keep the speed and intensity and so um i I do i don't do big training blocks i guess like i'm not only like oh you know now i'm only going to train for vert but if there's a specific race where, you know, I, I need to do a specific training, I'll, I'll try to incorporate that. But a lot of times it's just, I do my normal running and, you know, each weekend I'm usually taking part in something. Um, well, at least before this coronavirus happened, but actually, I think I've actually ha- uh, had the biggest month I've ever had where I think in April I did like 760 miles or something. Um, you know, a lot of that was, you know, from the quarantine backyard ultra, but, you know, I did a 12 hour race. Um, and then, you know, a week after that, a, a fastest known time in like 60 kilometers and the week after that, like the hundred K. And so, um, you know, it all kind of adds up. And when you're not racing, you've been known to run maybe twice a day or sometimes three times a day. How do you find time for recovery? What do you do in between the training sessions that allows you to go again? Um, I, I take up, you know, I, I do some, you know, active, uh, stretching. Uh, I always try to incorporate stuff into my routine. So like if I'm at my desk, I get up and, you know, touch my toes or knock out a couple of pushups or, um, some dead bugs or bird dogs or bridges. Um, something that I've been doing the last, like, you know, probably since I've seen you, um, I didn't incorporating a lot of strength training in. So I've been doing, um, 
before the coronavirus, I was doing two sessions a week with a personal trainer for an hour. And then I would have, you know, 10 to 15, 20 minutes of exercises each day that I would do. Um, since the coronavirus, I've been working uh, with uh, a guy that, and we do basically CrossFit workouts. Um, and that's been super fun. And I've been doing those almost every day, actually. And um, those I feel like are just making me stronger as an athlete and a person. And I feel like that's helping a lot with the recovery. Um, and then I'm not a great sleeper, but I feel like, you know, getting some good rest in, um, and then I, I feel like a lot of people, uh, over, overlook this, but I'm, I'm eating, you know, I'm eating like real food and I try to eat pretty healthy and, I feel like fuel and um, making sure you're getting enough and not skimping on calories. And um, I think that matters. And, and what you put in is, um, is good fuel. And, and, you know, that allows you to do, you know, incredible things. Yes, I think that's very, very important what you said. The, the nutrition is key. And that's where a lot of people fall down on. There's a lot of people now maybe running to lose weight and they're not getting in the right amount of calories to actually fuel the activity and that in turn then affects the performance so the fuel is important for so the fuel is important for the fuel in the activity and also repair and recovery after the activity yeah, yeah. exactly and and i think like also like just sometimes it can be overwhelming like you know especially if you start you know like looking online and it's like do you eat carbs do you not eat carbs do you have gluten you know should i fast before i run should i not fast should i always eat within 30 minutes um but i don't know i think our bodies are pretty incredible and like if you're craving pickles and ice cream you should have pickles and ice cream i mean i think your body knows uh what it needs and and maybe you know if people have had trouble with like decision making like set yourself up for success. I mean, like, you know, have, have like, you know, apples cut or, you know, cucumbers or like, um, stuff that you can grab, you know, if, if you, you know, you know, you need a snack or like, you know, nuts available and stuff like that. Like, I, I think like setting yourself up and making it easy. I mean, a lot of times I think people end up grabbing something, not because they want it, but because it's easy, you know? And, um, I think if you can put yourself in a good position, just like anything, like you're going to make better decisions. Yeah, and people get too caught up with fads. That's what they are, and, and they just change. When the new fad comes along, they swap over to that and keep trying different things and never get the opportunity to find out exactly what is working for them. Right, and I think the other thing too is like, it's awesome, like you should experiment. Like, you know, maybe fasting does work for you, but like, um, you know... I think you should have uh, a couple things that, you know, always work. Like, you know, for me, it's like oatmeal and almond butter and honey. Like I know, like I can eat those every day as long as I have to. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to try like a new salad or, um, you know, some kind of, you know, like I thought coconut water was such a joke, but uh, I tried it and it's like one of my favorite um, things for when I'm racing now. It's like, it's got calories. It's easy to drink. I can drink it all the time. And it's like, I thought it was, you know, just marketing, you know, gimmick, but it, but it actually works for me. So like, I, I do think that, you know, there are times where you should try stuff, but, um, but you should have some things that, you know, 
are 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 in your pantry and in your in your wheelhouse that always do work. Yes, yes, agreed. Now, with, with the training and you mentioned your strength and conditioning, you actually have a lot of your workouts up on your Instagram account. So, if anybody wants to look at those exercises or routines that you've mentioned, they can actually go and look at them. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the things like when I first started, like I, I didn't really know what to do. I, I knew like that I wanted to do something, but I wasn't sure how to get started. And like, I think the thing uh, with posting them is I want people to see like that. I, I, and the other thing too, is like when you do like, you know, look at like a lunge or whatever, it's, it's always like some dude who's done it like a million times and they've edited out all the like bad ones that he did. And, um it looks perfect and it's like oh man i can't do that and i try to put everything up there like as i actually do it and it's like sometimes it's not perfect you know i'm not you know going down as far as i can in my squat to like you know the backs of my heels like i can only go so far and um i i want people to see like uh it doesn't have to be perfect but you know if you get out there and get after it and you know here's an idea of you know you know, some things you can do because a lot of times it's just hard to think like what you want to do. Um, and sometimes, and I feel lucky that I have, you know, some people that are, are willing to like come up with ideas for me to do things. And all I have to do is, you know, do them. And, and I think like the other thing too, is like some of the stuff, like I don't really want to put a band around my ankle and another one around my knee and do like a hundred, like, you know, sidewalks or, or monster walks. But, um, you know, when I do it and I've, and I've done it and I, and I've taken the bands off and it feels amazing. Like I'm glad I have done it. And so like, just that I, I, I saw those bands forever and I was like, I don't really know what to do with it. I know that they're supposed to be good for you, but like, what am I supposed to do with it? And just having the ability to look at what someone else is doing and say like, Oh, that actually looks achievable. I think is really helpful. And you're showing that success doesn't just happen. You have to work for it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and I think you know that too, is like running uh, just because, I mean, you gave a long list of all the things I've done, but uh, the next time I line up at a race, uh, you don't automatically get a certain time or a certain place because of things you've done in the past. Like yes. you have to continually like reinvest in your craft and do the work um, because it, you're only only able to perform if you've done the work it, it, like there's no like muscle memory it's not like riding a bike like you don't uh automatically get you know speed and endurance just because you've had it in the past like yeah your your body knows what that looks like but uh if you if you don't keep up with it uh it evaporates very quickly i think it takes like a week to start losing fitness and um you know after a couple of weeks like you you've lost the majority of what you've had so um it's it's a sport that i love for that fact because um you know if you do the work you will get the results and you know if if you're not you know at if you're not getting the results you know then you got to look at what you're doing and and either change it or uh you know find a new way to do it yeah that's ask yourself why why is it not happening and um, with fitness and strength it's the case of you have to use it or you lose it and it needs to be continuously worked on. If you don't right. if you don't work on it, uh, the body starts to erode and 
by working you get you get better, you get fitter, you get faster, you get stronger. So you have to keep at it. That's it, yeah. Right. And and the other thing too is like it's also pretty awesome. It's kind of like some, when something is in motion, it tends to stay in motion. And so um, you know, there will be a point where and there's a tipping point where you'll start to crave it and it'll start to become easier. Uh, but then you also have to like, okay, now that it is easier, like you have to increase the load to keep your, keep progressing or else you're just going to hit a plateau. And so like, that's what is so cool about it is like your body adapts and gets stronger. And, but also you're, you become just more efficient. And if you can continue to do that, it's, it's just incredible what your body is capable of. Now I'm going to, Take a sidestep again. My favorite Mike Wardian story. You were on a cruise liner and for some reason you decided you were going to run or attempt the 50 kilometer world record on a treadmill. Yes. So you ran the 50 kilometer world record and then you then you got a phone call from someone <laughs> in, in the UK saying, well done, but... You didn't get the world record because it was, I think it was, it was less than a minute faster than what you had done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so what does Mike Bordian do? Yeah. What does uh, Mike Bordian do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he gets up the next morning and he beats that record. So, yeah. you know, how does that yeah. happen? Yeah, dude. Well, uh, I was on a Spartan cruise actually. Uh, and it's pretty funny cause they're one of my, one of my partners now, but I was, uh, running a Spartan cruise or running. A, I did, I just done a Spartan race and I got my ass kicked and I was like, I was like, how can I show these guys that I'm still tough, you know? And then I was like, I remember there was a treadmill on the, on the ship and, you know, quite a few actually. And I was like, I've been wanting to do a 50 K world record on the treadmill. And I was like, I bet I could do that. You know, I, I the race wasn't very long and I was like, we're going to be just sailing for the next couple of days. And so I was like, it's a Saturday night. It should only take like three, three, a little over three hours. And I did a little research, like you said, but it was like <clears throat> cruise ship internet. So it was like $20 a minute, you know? So I didn't see the guy's world record. Like I was like, Oh, if I just run anything, it'll be fine. And, um, and yeah, so then I like ran the time and I felt great, you know, I pushed, but, and I got, you know, it was hard, but I, I felt strong and I definitely could have gone faster. You know, I was just like, whatever, I'll just run, you know, under, you know, I'll just run as fast as I can. Uh, and, and yeah, I posted it and then like, you know, I went to bed and then like two hours later I got like a, a Twitter thing saying like, Oh, that's really sweet. But <laughs> my buddy just, yeah, my buddy just ran it. And like, yeah, like you're saying like 45 seconds faster. And I was like, Holy crap. And I was like, I'm going to do it again before we get support. So like, I think I did it like 18 hours later or something, you know? So, uh, and I, and I did do it before we landed uh, back in the U S like, so before we docked the ship, um, I broke the record. Yeah, I thought it was so funny, you know. And yeah. it just goes to show how quickly you recover. You know. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty awesome like uh to be able to to do that and to do so well and um I've ran myself on a treadmill on a ship and it's not easy. It's yeah, very it's hot and definitely then Definitely not. Yeah. 
and then when you're looking out at the sea, that's not good either. Yeah, what was funny about it too is uh, you know, the ship was, it was, I mean, it's not super rough because it was a relatively decent sized ship, but uh, there were points where it was like listing and then all of a sudden you're now, you, the treadmills were also not like, you know, a treadmill you'd want to try to run a world record on. Um, so I think they kept, I can't remember if they kept turning off every hour. So then I'd have to like, I think they did turn off every hour. So I'd lose like time where it would like power down and then I'd have to, you know, jump, you know, it started up again and the belt come, you know, so it's just one of those things where it's just yeah, like, it's waiting on. for it to accelerate again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it breaks your rhythm and, um, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just one of those things where you do, you, you do, uh, you do an attempt and, you know, no, even I've done like official attempts where the people guarantee that the treadmill isn't like set on, you know, time out out or after half an hour, like at the health club. And uh, of course it does. And, you know, you're in the middle of the record attempt, like, God, come on, really? And, you know, sometimes like that, you know, you lose like almost a minute. And if you do that like three or four times, like that's, that's a real, you know, tough, tough thing to overcome. Yeah, it, it sure is. It's a good story, very good story. Now, the North Pole Marathon, <laughs> how did that come about? Um, that was actually lucky. I um, I was working with a company called UVU, and they were supporting um, a guy named Richard Donovan, who is a super awesome Irish guy. Um, he and I met each other at the Galway Marathon. Uh, and the 50k world championships and it was one of those things where you meet somebody and you're like dude i'm hope that i can be friends with this guy for the rest of my life like he's just one of those guys who's just super cool super smart um a real um a logistical genius a logistical genius but also just a guy who also just really loves running and pushing himself like and just he's just a badass like yeah he's just one of those guys where you're like man he's just cool and I, and I was like I hope that I get to hang out with this guy more um, and he was putting on the race at the North Pole and I was terrified of cold like I just like cold was something that I, I did not enjoy I you know I just even like going skiing and like stuff like that like I was just not really into it and I figured like, this is something that I need to, you know, deal with. Like I, 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 I'm limiting myself like half the world. I don't go to, um, just because I don't like cold, like that's silly. Um, so he, uh, am had an opening, uh, cause it's really actually kind of hard to get in a spot in that race. And, uh, UVU was supporting it and they were supporting me. And so I was able to get a spot um, to try to go and, and run the race and, um, test some of their clothing because they make like, uh, really incredible, like polar clothing. Actually, it's all their stuff is pretty awesome. Um, so, so I, I took advantage of it and I was like, Hey, I'm going to try to get over this fear. Um, and, and basically that's what I did. You know, I went to the race, um, I ended up winning the race, which was really cool. I was hoping to set the course record, but uh, the conditions were pretty, it's, it's each year it's in a different place. And just depending on, you know, how the weather is and, and what the ice flow looks like, um, 
you know, it can be kind of a, a slower race. I think I won in a little over four hours or right around four hours or something. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a slog, but, um, but it was one of those things where I was like, I, I got a little bit of frostbite. Um, but I also like just learned that, you know, if you're dressed properly and, and you, um, take care of yourself and you don't, um, you know, do anything super stupid that you can, you know, thrive and, and do incredible things in those kind of conditions. And then you went and took part in the World Marathon Challenge, which is at the other end of the world, down it starts off in Antarctica. So you did that twice. And can you tell us a little bit <laughs> yeah. about that one? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the first time we did it together, right? Yeah, that was 2017. Um, yeah, exactly. And you and it was Sinead, right? Yes. Um, and she set the world record for visually impaired athlete. Yes, I think. first visually impaired athlete to complete yeah. a marathon each of the seven continents. Yep. Yeah, so that was pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, the that race was was for me like a, a trip of a lifetime. Like I actually heard about it at the North Pole Marathon. Richard told me he was going to do it, and then it was kind of like a marathon to sob for me. I found out how much it was going to cost. And I was like, Oh shit. I was like, I want to do that, but I don't know how I'm going to, you know, swimming that, um, you know, financially. Uh, and so, you know, it took me a couple of years and then, um, in 2017, I decided, Hey, I'm going to, you know, try and make this happen. And, um, was able to actually get lucky and, and, you know, have some good support for some sponsors like T-Mobile and, MedStar and uh, Hoka Oneone and some of my other, you know, big supporters and was able to, you know, get a spot and take part. And I had some good fitness going into it. I was just coming off of setting the uh, Abbott World Marathon Majors uh, world record with, you know, averaging 233 and then actually uh, won the Las Vegas Marathon dressed as Elvis like a week later in like 237 and um, kind of the world marathon major starts kind of at the end of January. And I think in between there, I did like a six hour race where I ran like 50 miles in Florida. I actually did that on the way to Punta Arenas in Chile. So like I went into the world marathon challenge coming off of like a six hour, you know, pretty hard effort. And, um, yeah, I, I, I actually just, I just had like one of those, um, you know, special, special weeks actually where i ran the fastest time ever in antarctica breaking three hours uh and then i think i ran 254 and then you know was it six or eight hours it was probably like eight hours later uh ran in punta arenas like 240 or something and then um and then we had some big flights you know i think we went from there to miami maybe is that right? Yes, we stopped off in Colombia. Remember? Yeah. We had to do refueling there and I th we had to leave the plane because the plane was being searched seeing as we were going to go going through there. But yeah, then we went to Miami. So that, that yeah. was a long flight. Yeah, and then we went Miami and then Madrid and then Morocco and then Dubai and then we finished in uh, Sydney. Um, and uh, yeah, I was able to average like two hours and 45 minutes. Um for for all seven of the races and i think that's still the world best for that and that was quite incredible when you consider the extremes of temperature what did you find the most difficult race can you remember 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that that was the biggest challenge is like one minute, you know, you're uh, in Antarctica and it's like, you know, negative 30 degrees. And then the next day it was, I think, um, you know, 10 or 12 degrees. And then, um, you know, the day after that, it's like 25 degrees. And so um, I think your body doesn't realize like, you know, if you're in somewhere like really hot, like Badwater or like, um, you know, in Death Valley in California or uh, you're in Antarctica, like if you're there, you're there and your body kind of adjusts to wherever you are. But, you know, if you're in Antarctica one day and then you're um, in Miami the next day, like your body's still like, wait, where am I? And so I think like for me, that was one of the biggest things. Uh, and then also like I didn't really calculate um, how the airport situation was going to be like, I thought we would get to the airports and be able to go to the restaurants and stuff, but we were always landing at like two o'clock in the morning and like nothing was open. And, um, so I think like just getting fuel in some of the places was, um, was a little tricky. Um, but I was lucky, like they did a good job on the plane, I think having stuff for us. Um, but like, I, I think like I, the next time I went in 2019, I took a lot more snacks. Yeah, I found that difficult myself was the going from one extreme to the other with the temperature because, as you said, you don't have time to adapt uh, or acclimatize and then all of a sudden you're going somewhere else. Sleep deprivation or jet lag wasn't an issue because we were working off our own clock rather than working off a particular time zone in the country that we were in. We weren't trying to adjust to their way of life. We were just doing our own thing and then leaving. And jet lag, I suppose, or... Sleep deprivation wasn't really an issue until we finished the race properly in Sydney. I think I remember checking into a hotel and almost checking out at the same time. Like we arrived, we arrived there quite late, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. Well, I I think there is some sleep deprivation, but then there's also just like sensory things. Like when you when you get off the plane and it's like eleven o'clock at night, your body is like, uh, we should be sleeping. So like. I think there's a little of that, but mentally you're like, oh, it should be fine. But I think there is something to that. But yeah, for sure, like I remember being in Sydney and my buddy Roger, who I just was hanging out with a couple of weeks ago on the on the virtual race in Australia, was like, dude, what time zone are you in? Or like, where are you? And I was like, we're in our own little orbit, dude. Like, I have no idea what day or time it is. And it's actually kind of fun to just be like, um, you just know, time, yeah. time bandits, really, you time know, bandits, or just like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you remember that movie yes, from way yes. back, but, um, but yeah, we're just kind of like flowing through our own little universe. One of the toughest points of that race was when we got to Morocco, we arrived there quite late and we got to check into a hotel. It might've been close to midnight. But then our race the next day was starting at 6 or 7 a.m. And we arrived down and the breakfast buffet was laid out and it was just an amazing spread of food. But <laughs> we didn't really have time to be eating anything. And it just seemed a shame to be in such a nice hotel. And being able to look at this food, it was, it was torture. Being able to look at this yes. food and then just go and be chewing away on dried fruit and bananas then for, for the rest of the day. And then all of a sudden you were whipped off to the airport. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I think that's one of the hard things about those events is like being super disciplined also for a week, because a lot of times you're like, oh, I just did a marathon. I want to, 
you know, go and get uh, pizza and beer or something. And you're like, oh, crap, I have to run again in like six hours. Yeah. So or or 10 hours or whatever it is. Now you mentioned bad water there. I was kind of forgetting about that. That's one of the races that I'd love to do. How would that compare with the Marathon de Saab apart from the sand? I mean, there's not, there's no sand in Badwater just because it's, um, uh, it's a road race. So, um, it's different than Marathon de Saab in that it's a road race and, um, you have access to your crew at all times, basically you're they're they're helping you. Um, so that's, you know, pretty different and, and you, you need to rely on the crew, um, just because it is so hot and, it's um so exposed and it's long i mean it's it's for me it was uh a really long event um i did that a i think that was right that was after the world championships in 2011 when i uh finished second in the world championships and then i finished third at badwater and then i think right before that I had just set my marathon PR of 217. So, you know, it was, it was pretty awesome to go from like running my personal best marathon to then transitioning and doing, you know, uh, one of the hardest races in the world. Yeah, that's quite incredible. All right. Now I'm going to just mention some of your other PBs because you've mentioned your marathon one there. You have a mile time of four minutes, 34.6 seconds, 5k, 15 minutes, nine seconds. 10k 30 minutes 23 seconds half marathon 1 hour 6 minutes 30 seconds 50k is 2 hours 54 minutes 57 seconds 50 mile 5 hours 28 and 58 seconds 100k is 6 hours 42 minutes and 49 seconds and then unusually your 24 hour record is a, or PB is 130.251 kilometers back in 2001 that's when you were kind of getting into the ultra marathons. Any reason why you didn't stay with 24 hours? That to me would seem like an event that you would excel at. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've done further than that in 24 okay. hours. Um, but yeah, that was one I just threw up the whole time. And so, yeah, I, uh, I've only done one real 24 hour race. And so, yeah, that's something I definitely want to get into. Like, it was funny, all the 24 hour guys from the U S team were like, after I did the quarantine race, they're like, dude, you have to, you know, you know, get a qualifier and try to be on the, on the 24 hour team. And it's just, you know, something that I haven't really explored that much, but it's, it's definitely on my radar. And I hope that I can, uh, you know, get a chance to, to do um, some of those in the future because I, I do think those would be something that would be really fun to get after. Actually, that PB I mentioned is a specific 24-hour race rather than distances you've covered in 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. you have ran further, but that's the one that was uh, recorded. Right. And something else you do, which is still running related, is guide running. And I think this year mm-hmm. you were planning on running the Boston Marathon with a friend of yours, Paralympian Charles Davis, He's visually mm-hmm. impaired, and as a team, you were aiming to run sub two thirty. Now that just seems mind-boggling to me. <laughs> well, yeah, he's run two thirty-one before, and I've paced him. And <laughs> every time I've paced him, we've not had good success. Um, but yeah, he's he's run really fast, and and he had some really good fitness, and I think he still does. So you know, hopefully, I'll get a chance to guide him in the near future, and. 
you know, especially I want him to, you know, try to achieve his dreams. And one of the hardest things, as you know, as is guiding is, um, you know, you're spending a lot of your own energy to try to get uh, the athlete to where they want to be. And, and to, to run that kind of pace, it's hard to get people that are willing to do that. Cause you know, if you're usually around that fast, you usually want to try to be in the race to, you know, win or place for yourself. So, um, you know, I feel really fortunate that Chaz has let me, um, have the opportunity to, to work with him. And also another guy named Brian Reynolds, who's a double amputee that I've helped pace before too. So, you know, both those guys are kind of at the sharp end of the spear, like in their respective disciplines. And, um, it's, it's a real privilege to get a chance to work with those guys. And I think, you know, it, and, and maybe your audience does too, but there's a real need for, you know, people to guide athletes, um, and there's, I'm actually talking to uh, another guy who wants to be pushed for a 50K. So, you know, that's something I'm going to hopefully do here in the near future too. But at that kind of pace, like for a 230 marathon, what I find is that when you go faster, that it's harder to react if there is an issue or an obstacle. How do you find that? Like it's a lot of responsibility on your part. Uh, yeah, it's a huge responsibility. I mean, I, I basically spend the whole time talking like, hey, we're coming up uh, it's, you know, it's a, a 200 meter climb we're going to be there in about, you know, 10 seconds or so, or curb coming, curb coming, curb coming now step and uh, or we've got, you know, two runners coming up on our left side. Like when we do at Boston, there's so many good runners that, you know, a lot of times in races, you kind of can, you know, separate yourselves. But in Boston, you slow down for two seconds, you get rolled up by like 300 people, you know, so um you know a lot of times it's just like navigating and also just being a uh, a shield for your runner saying like hey guys you know heads up you know i got a i got a guy here that i'm you know pacing and it's it's nice because i have like a little reputation and like you said you know people recognize me with the ponytail and the beard and so like you know they're all like hey wardian what are you doing like hey oh that's chaz oh we we were expecting to see you guys and so um you know that's that's a, that's a nice feature. Um, and, and something that, um, it's cool that the running community, uh, is so respectful of everyone else. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think dealing with the obstacles is, you know, that's, that's your job as the, as the guide is to make sure that your athlete gets there safely and, and hopefully achieves what they want to do. Yeah. And the fact that you're, kind of high profile might encourage more people to actually take part in races as a as a guide runner i hope so i mean it's for me it was it's weird because uh it's not about you and and that makes it kind of awesome um even though you are you know a part of a team it's um it's it's really um a cool experience to you know give back to the sport and and to somebody else or or the community um, in a way that is natural, right? I mean, it's something that we want to do. And if you're an athlete, I feel like I'd want someone to do that for me if they could. And it's a chance to help somebody achieve like something really amazing. And, you know, they shouldn't not get a chance to be the best or, or the chance to take part just because, you know, they don't have uh, the same resources that, that other people do. Yes, 100%. And Arthur Lydiard, the renowned running coach he said that there were champions everywhere but not everybody gets the opportunity 
and that's it. So oh my there's, gosh. there's a lot that's of that's so true. Yeah, yeah, and it can just be something so small can make such a big difference. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I I realize like I'm super fortunate that you know I'm come from a wealthy country that has a big marketplace. Like there, I mean, there's so many other runners around the world that are so much better than me, but I have, you know, sponsors and resources and, um, the ability to travel. Like there's people that, you know, are, are trapped by their federations that aren't allowed to, you know, compete around the world because they don't have the paperwork or they can't get a visa or, you know, they, they don't have the resources to, you know, buy the plane tickets. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm super blessed. And, and I think a lot of us are, Yes, definitely. um, you know, if, if we can, you know, help, help someone else uh, then, or help many people, like, I think we should. Yeah. Talent and ability, but without opportunity. That's what yeah. uh, we're talking people back. I recently spoke to Dr. Noel Brick, a lecturer in exercise psychology with the University of Ulster. And we talked about the impact of attentional focus during endurance events and one of his studies was on facial expressions and smiling to help increase performance. You always seem to be smiling, you're always in good form. Would you agree with what he says? Does it ease the pain? Uh, I feel like sometimes it does. I feel like sometimes I, I definitely uh, grimace. And and uh, I remember I, there was a spin teacher that saw me doing that. And she goes, that doesn't make you feel any better or go any faster. And I just <laughs> ah, she's wrong. I remember that. <laughs> Uh, yeah but I thought it was pretty funny it was um but yeah I, I always try to I try to remember that I signed up for this and this is something that I chose to do and so um you know that's I think important to be mindful of like that you know I am lucky that that I have um I have the ability and opportunity that I do and that uh I chose to do this and, and that I wanted to be out there and and so like I think if you keep that in the forefront of your mind, then um, then it it, def- it definitely does help with your performance. Are there any other strategies that you apply when the going gets tough? What do you focus on and think about? Uh, I definitely have goals like that. You know, I want to. You know, a lot of times, like I have multiple goals. Like I want to win the race. I want to be the first uh, American. I want to be the first guy with a beard if that's not possible i want to be the first guy from my city or state or whatever and so i think you know having you know clear and defined goals and reasons for continuing to move forward because if you know your only goal is to win the race you know that's pretty pretty tough there's only going to be one winner and even if you're super you're having like you're having a day you know i mean i just think having like the ability to to you know, have, have a why, uh, is really important and to, to be able to use that as fuel to, to push yourself forward. Um, I think that is for me, a a big way to, you know, continue to, to push and continue to, uh, carry on when things get hard. And then the other thing is like, sometimes I'm looking for that, you know, I want to see like, you know, how, how am I going to solve this problem? Like, a lot of times, like when, you know, a wall comes or you're not having a good patch, it's, you know, it's something like that's tangible. It's like, hey, have I eaten enough? Do I need water? Um, you know, do I just need to turn on some music? Um, you know, do I need to just say, you know, why not today? Like I have a couple mantras I go through and um, 
but having a why, I mean, that's for me, one of the most important things, like, why am I out here? Why am I doing this? You know, what am I hoping to achieve? And, um, and, and then, you know, having an answer for that, because if it's just like, oh, I want to show off to, you know, the people at work, or I want to, you know, represent, um, you know, I don't know. Like, if you don't have a good answer for that, you're not gonna you're not gonna do very well. Yeah, that's great advice. So you're always setting yourself up for success, and you recalibrate your expectations as required. So you always have yeah. a, you almost always have a positive outcome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely times where you know I've not done as well as I wanted, um, or I've. Um, you know, struggled. Um, but yeah, for the most part, like there's always something good you can learn from, uh, various events. And I think there's always something we can take from them. And, uh, you know, even if, you know, someone might not think it was a successful race or you didn't do as well as you want, but I mean, there's something, um, that you learned or that you can, um, apply the next time. And, and I feel like it's awesome because, you know, you build all these experiences and like you're saying, you know, um, with the, the resume that you gave at the beginning, like I've, I've had a lot of experiences, but, um, you know, each one of those, like I can draw on at different points. Like you wouldn't believe how many times at the end of like a long race, I've, uh, you know, thought in my head, okay, you know, I'm in the 10 K where it was just me and Philippe and we're battling, you know, down to the wire and, you know, he passed me in the last 400 meters and like, I'll use that. Um, or, okay, I'm just on my, you know, 10 K loop around my neighborhood and, you know, that's all I have to go in this race. And so I think, um, you know, having a strong mind and then also just being malleable and being able to, you know, use your imagination, uh, can definitely, uh, help you perform and, and get through some of the hard patches. Yes. Yes. Very good. For somebody who is maybe thinking about moving from marathon to ultra marathon, what advice would you give? Uh, sign up for something. I think, um, I think, yeah, that's for me. That was, uh, you know, something I did pretty uh, quickly. But I think the biggest, um, the biggest hurdle sometimes can be um, just knowing what you want to do and then, um, inertia. And so like, if, if there's something and you like, it looks like I was lucky when my, my, um, flatmate or my, um, roommate gave me the thing on marathon to sob, like instantly I got a feeling and I was like, I want to do this race. And hopefully like there's something like that. It's the same with the Boston marathon that got me into running in the first place. It's like, I, I was like, immediately had a visual reaction like hey i'm gonna do that and so if someone is looking to get into ultras and you know they see the spine race or they see the you know something in in i don't know the utmb or western states or you know they want to do something you know locally wherever they are or they've always wanted to you know run a certain path decide that you want to do like the bob graham round or something like or you know I'm sure there's some equivalent in, like, I saw, like, didn't Paddy just do something really cool yeah, in Ireland? Paddy O'Leary, yeah. he did the fastest known time for the Wicklow Round, which has since been broken by a local Irish runner called Gavin Bourne. They yeah. both run on the Irish trail running team. But yeah, there yeah, are, are always local challenges in that. And as you mentioned, the Marathon de Saab, that's 
a race that has started a lot of journeys. Yeah, and and I think it's great. I mean, it's it's one of those things where um, it's a safe adventure. Yeah, and 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 it's 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 controlled and uh, but it's hard and it makes you it makes you question yourself and it it puts you in an uncomfortable position. Um, but it's achievable and uh, it's also like a amazing community. Um, and and I feel like ultra running and and running in general is an amazing community. And, and so the more you put yourself out there and the more you ask for assistance and guidance, I think the more that you'll get and, and the people will welcome you. Um, there's not many people, um, that I know in the sport that, that aren't good people at heart and aren't, you know, willing to give you guidance and show you, show you the way, or at least, and, and it's funny, it's like anything, like everyone has their own, you know, idea of how you're supposed to do it and, and whatnot. But I'm one of those people that, you know, I listen to everybody and, and then you got to make your own decisions and decide, um, you know, how you want to, you want to approach the sport and, you know, what you want to do with it. But there are lots of ways to go about it. Yes, indeed. And I can remember passing through some of the airports and Sinead had a lot of blisters and you were fixing her feet in between races. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she also had a lot of questions. Yes. Um, yeah, well, that's an inquisitive <laughs> mind. And you had a lot. I think you were kind of steering me towards the answers as well. Like, so, yeah. But actually, it was because of a lot of those questions that I wanted to talk to you a bit more. And, and that's the reason why I wanted you on a podcast, because I just knew by listening to some of the things you were saying that you never overcomplicated stuff and you always made what you were doing sound achievable. So I think that you're an elite athlete, but you're able to offer advice for somebody who's a beginner or an intermediate, and you like to see people coming along. You like competition, you are a challenger, but you are also somebody who would encourage participation, and you welcome competition. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think that's what drives us and makes us better, and uh, the more people that... Um you know, are taking part and the more people, like, I think a lot of people want to make these things seem impossible because it makes them seem more impressive. Um, and I'm it. hoping that, um, I'm hoping that, you know, people can see what we do and, and they are impressed, but then that they say like, well, if that guy can do it, maybe I can too. And so like, that's what I, I, I hope that people take from it is like, you know, this person has, you know, the same kind of you know, responsibilities and obligations that I have, but, you know, they're able to find time and it's not finding time, it's making time. You know, none of this stuff happens unless you plan for it, but they're able to do these things. And if they can, then why can't I? And, um, you know, I think not being an elite athlete um, growing up and, you know, coming into the sport, like I have an appreciation for how overwhelming it can be, but at the end of the day, it's just running and it's just, or moving even like the, the last challenge I did, I just walked, you know, I did four miles every four hours for 48 hours and I walked and, you know, anyone, um, that has, you know, the ability can do that. And, and so there are ways that you can, you know, take part in these things, you know, no matter what your fitness level is. And the cool thing is like, the, the more you get into it, the fitter you'll be and the more you can do. And, you know, I hope that, you know, people are willing to take that first step. I'm going to go back to what you just said about walking during the last challenge. That was you applying a strategy to that actual event. You were doing the David Goggins 
48 hour challenge wasn't that it was, it was 4 miles every 4 hours for 48 hours so mm-hmm. you knew that you just had to finish 4 miles in the 4 hours so you went at a pace that meant it wasn't really taking anything out of you you didn't require the same recovery and you could keep going on and on and on so that was a strategy you applied to that so you knew that the challenge wasn't the fastest four miles in each hour. The f- the challenge was to complete the forty eight hours. So would it, would I be right in saying that? Uh, kind of. It was no. It was more a challenge for me to see if I could do it because I've okay. never walked that far. Oh right. And I've and I I've never had the discipline to <laughs> to walk that far and that slow for that long. But it was also not that slow where you could just lollygag. So I did it at exactly fifteen minute miles. Uh, and I also left the treadmill at 3% grade to account for the treadmill belt. Um, so it was uh, more a challenge for me to to not go faster than that, even though it would have been easier. So, yeah, so it was more a mental challenge. And then also what was and I also wanted to see what it would feel like. And I was actually surprised at how um, I was still tired uh, and my legs were like I ran the next day and my legs felt hollow. They weren't beat up, but I just didn't have any zip. And but not like when you're you do like a hard run and you're just you know your legs are a little bit like just dead. But like they were just like they felt fine and they felt like I could go fast, but I really couldn't. And I was just surprised. Like for me, it was a learning experience. Like because you know at, at some point you know maybe. I, I only have the ability to walk, but at least I know that I can. And, yes. I, you know, that was, I think, really fun. And then I added a weight vest in a couple times. And, um, you know, I was also like, I want to do a challenge where I play video games for 24 hours against people while I do 100 miles on the treadmill. And so I wanted to also practice what that would look like. And um, so, yeah, so there was a couple different things that I was doing, you know, on top of, you know, just completing the challenge. Right, because I was looking at that and I was trying to figure out and I said, well, Mike has gone into that like somebody going into an exam and he's using all the available time. So he's, he's doing <laughs> just enough to get the job done and knowing that he will be there when it finishes. So I thought that's that's yeah. Mike being economical with his movement. Well, I mean, if you were going to do it that way, I mean, you have four hours. So, I mean, you could just do a mile an hour if you wanted. You know, you could do, you could start, do a mile and then, you know, sleep for 20 minutes or eat or whatever and do another mile. And I actually saw they did a race like that where they just did one mile every hour. It was called the Little Backyard. And they went for like two and a half or three weeks or something. It was pretty awesome. So, yeah. So I, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like, so there are, there are all these different kinds of things that you can do. And I think it's actually been really clever how creative people have been during, you know, this time. Yeah. And it's amazing how serious some of these fun novelty events can become. And <laughs> it, it leads to a great sense of community as well. Like, and even for somebody just kind of spectating, it, it was great fun, like following along. Yeah, exactly. It's It's been really neat to, um, to see how the running community is strong and the endurance community and just how everybody's kind of coping with um, you know, the challenges we're all facing. And what's next for Mike Wardian? Uh, you know, actually my next, I, I've got a bunch of uh, fastest known times. I'm taking part in like an East Coast versus West Coast thing where you run like a 10K half marathon and 50K. Um, I've got a really cool thing where it's, uh, it's like we have a, a famous NCAA basketball tournament. And so basically, 
uh, there's a running club that uh, invited me to take part where each week you run a 5k against somebody else. And so it starts with like 64 athletes and then next week it'll be 32 athletes. And then the week after that 16 and then eight and then four, and then you get down to the final two and it's 5k, but it's also age graded and, um, you know, gender. And so like you could, you know, be against like a 70 year old guy who could kick your ass just because, you know, he can run a 20 minute 5k, you know, so like, it'll be super fun, I think. And then my big project, though, is to um, run across the United States and to try to set the world record. So um, that's, that's kind of the big next step for me. Actually, Richard has run across the States two yeah, or three he, times. He has. Yeah, he totally has. And I think he was supposed to start again this year. And, yeah, he was planning uh, another yeah. attempt, yeah. Yeah, so he, he and I have talked about it. And I've talked to, you know, Pete, who has the record, and uh, a couple other people that have crossed. And It's a uh, tough record. He, it's he just... a really tough record. Yeah, it was. it's 42 days, um, and that's about 70 miles a day. So um, it, before before I did the Quarantine Backyard Ultra, I thought, no way that I could do that. But, you know, after that and, you know, however how I felt so good and, you know, even this past month, you know, being able to, you know, do, do big miles. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, I, I don't know if I can get his record, but I'm pretty sure I want to take a try. Yeah. That's an interesting point there that you mentioned by doing the quarantine backyard, that that allowed you to see that you could potentially go for that record. So it's by doing these events, you do get to learn that bit more about yourself. Like some of them can be life-changing experiences like the Martin de Saab. They give you a greater appreciation for what you have. And then other ones let you see that you are capable of doing a lot more than you thought you were. These are things that if you don't try them, you'll never know. Yeah, exactly. And like, I wouldn't want to look back and say like, oh, you know, I wish I would have tried and, and not. I'd rather try and fail and and, you know, worst case is I fail and I don't make it, you know what? Okay, fine. I didn't, I didn't make it, but at least I tried, you know? And so, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the position that, um, I'm taking and, you know, that hopefully, you know, I can get the support to make it happen. So, you know, that's actually my big project on my run this morning. I was thinking like, oh, I need to do like the proposal to get out to, you know, different organizations and companies, you know, to see if I can get the backing to, to make it happen. Cool. Now, this is turning into my second longest podcast at the moment. <laughs> my, my longest one was with Camille Heron. And I'm probably regretting now that I said that to you because you're probably stuck for time, but you'll want this to be the longest one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... No, that that's fine. That's uh, okay, she, is it? She she's beaten me at a lot of things. Uh, so yeah, she she can she can definitely have the record. Uh, <laughs> it's been it's been, it's been awesome to talk with you guys, and um, I appreciate it. You got you've done you know uh, a lot of work, a lot of good for the sport, and it's it's nice to be able to share. And thank you for um, you know having me on. Well, thanks for your time. Now, before I let you go, is there anything? that you would like to mention or any bits of advice, anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the best thing that, that I've noticed is, is if you're consistent and you're um, dedicated, then you'll continue to see progress. And so, um, you know, as, as athletes, I think 
a lot of times it gets frustrating, you know, if you're, if you're not, you know, finding uh, immediate success, but if you stick with it and you persevere and you continue to do the work and continue to look at what you're doing, um, you know, eventually you will have those breakthroughs and um, it's, it's worth it. So I guess the, the biggest thing that I could, you know, hopefully relay to people is that, you know, the big things are possible, you know, continue to put the work in, continue to do the time, continue to experiment. Uh, this is all uh, stuff that hopefully we get to do for fun and for as long as we can. And so uh, just enjoy it. It's, um, it's a, it's a real uh, amazing uh, sport that we're in and, and it's, you know, something that, you know, I have been incredibly impressed with, you know, where it's taken me and my family and, you know, the people that follow me and uh, hopefully we can continue to do big things going forward. So I appreciate everyone's time and uh, look forward to seeing you out there. Cool. And you're very active on social media. So I think if somebody wants to follow you on Facebook or Instagram, you do give out a lot of uh, a lot of good advice. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's well worth following your Instagram account for tips and tricks. Yeah. I mean, I definitely hope people will follow me Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, not doing like TikTok yet or anything, but, um, but yeah, those, those are the kind of the primary platforms at the moment. And then, you know, people are more than willing to, I'm more than willing to, you know, answer questions and, uh, as much as I can on all those, all those, uh, mediums for sure. Uh, Mike Wardian, thanks very much for your time. It's been fascinating chatting to you and it was nice to always catch up on some of the races that we have done and good luck with the next one thanks man i appreciate it really 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 kind of you